Chapter Thirty Three of Uncle Silas by Joseph Sheridan Lefanu. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Thirty Three. The Windmill Wood. I had not time to explore this noble old house as my curiosity prompted, for Milly was in such a fuss to set out for the Blackberry Dell that I saw little more than just so much as I necessarily traversed in making my way to and from my room. The actual decay of the house had been prevented by my dear father, and the roof, windows, masonry and carpentry had all been kept in repair. But short of indications of actual ruin, there are many manifestations of poverty and neglect which impress with a feeling of desolation. It was plain that not nearly a tithe of this great house was inhabited. Long corridors and galleries stretched away in dust and silence, and were crossed by others, whose dark arches inspired me in the distance with an awful sort of sadness. It was plainly one of those great structures in which you might easily lose yourself, and with a pleasing terror it reminded me of that delightful old abbey in Mrs. Radcliffe's romance, among whose silent staircases, dim passages, and long suites of lordly but forsaken chambers, begirt without by the sombre forest, the family of La Motte secured a gloomy asylum. My cousin Milly and I, however, were bent upon an open-air ramble, and traversing several passages she conducted me to a door which led us out upon a terrace overgrown with weeds, and by a broad flight of steps we descended to that level of the grounds beneath. Then on, over the short grass under the noble trees we walked, Milly in high good humour, and talking away volubly in her short garment, navvy boots, and a weather-beaten hat. She carried a stick in her gloveless hand. Her conversation was quite new to me, and resembled very much what I would have fancied the holiday recollections of a schoolboy, and the language in which it was sustained was sometimes so outlandish that I was forced to laugh outright, a demonstration which she plainly did not like. Her talk was about the great jump she had made, how she snowballed the chaps in winter, how she could slide twice the length of her stick beyond Briddles the cowboy. With this and similar conversation she entertained me. The grounds were delightfully wild and neglected, but we had now passed into a vast park, beautifully varied with hollows and uplands, and such glorious old timber massed and scattered over its slopes and levels. Among these we got at last into a picturesque dingle. The grey rocks peeped from among the ferns and wildflowers, and the steps of soft sward along its sides were dark in the shadows of silver-stemmed birch and russet thorn and oak, under which, in the vaporous night, the Earl King and his daughter might glide on their aerial horses. In the lap of this pleasant dell were the finest blackberry bushes I think I ever saw, bearing fruit quite fabulous, and plucking these and chatting we rambled on very pleasantly. I had first thought of Milly's absurdities, to which, in description, I cannot do justice, simply because so many details have, by distance of time, escaped my recollection. But her ways and her talk were so indescribably grotesque that she made me again and again quiver with suppressed laughter but there was a pitiable and even a melancholy meaning underlying the burlesque. This creature, with no more education than a dairymaid, I gradually discovered had fine natural aptitudes for accomplishment, 
a very sweet voice and wonderfully delicate ear and a talent for drawing which quite threw mine into the shade it was really astonishing poor milly in all her life had never read three books and hated to think of them one over which she was wont to yawn and sigh and stare fatiguedly for an hour every sunday by command of the governor was a stout volume of sermons of the earlier school of george the third and a drier collection you can't fancy i don't think she read anything else but she had notwithstanding ten times the cleverness of half the circulating library misses one meets with besides all this i had a long sojourn before me at bartram howe and i had learned from milly as i had heard before what a perennial solitude it was with a ludicrous fear of learning Milly's preposterous dialect and turning at last into something like her so i resolved to do all i could for her teach her whatever i knew if she would allow me and gradually if possible effect some civilizing changes in her language and as they term it in boarding school her demeanour but i must pursue at present our first day's ramble in what was called bartram chase people can't go on eating blackberries always so after a while we resumed our walk along this pretty dell which gradually expanded into a wooded valley level beneath and enclosed by irregular uplands receding as it were in mimic bays and harbours at some points and running out at others into broken promontories ending in clumps of forest trees just where the glen which we had been traversing expanded into this broad but wooded valley it was traversed by a high and close paling which although it looked decayed was still very strong in this there was a wooden gate rudely but strongly constructed and at the side we were approaching stood a girl who was leaning against the post with one arm resting on the top of the gate this girl was neither tall nor short taller than she looked at a distance she had not a slight waist sooty black was her hair with a broad forehead perpendicular but low she had a pair of very fine dark lustrous eyes and no other good feature unless i may so call her teeth which were very white and even her face was rather short and swarthy as a gypsy's observant and sullen too and she did not move only eyed us negligently from under her dark lashes as we drew near altogether a not unpicturesque figure with a dusky red petticoat of drugget and tattered jacket of bottle-green stuff with short sleeves which showed her brown arms from the elbow that's pegtop's daughter said milly who is pegtop i asked he's the miller see yonder it is and she pointed to a very pretty feature in the landscape a windmill crowning the summit of a hillock which rose suddenly above the level of the tree-tops like an island in the centre of the valley the mill not going to-day beauty bawled milly noah beauty it baint replied the girl loweringly and without stirring and what's gone with the stile demanded milly aghast it's tore away from the paling well so it be replied the wood-nymph in the red petticoat showing her fine teeth with a lazy grin who's a been and done all that demanded milly not you nor me lass said the girl "'Twas old Pegtop, your father did it,' cried Milly, in rising wrath. "'Appen it war,' she replied. "'And the gate locked.' "'That's it, the gate locked,' she repeated sulkily, with a defiant side-glance at Milly. 
and where's pegtop at t'other side somewhere how should i know where he be she replied who's got the key here it be lass she answered striking her hand on her pocket and how durst you stay us here unlock it has he this minute cried milly with a stamp her answer was a sullen smile open the gate this instant bawled milly well i won't i expected that milly would have flown into a frenzy at this direct defiance but she looked instead puzzled and curious the girl's unexpected audacity bewildered her why you fool i could get over the paling as soon as look at you but i won't what's come over you open the gate i say or i'll make you do let her alone dear i entreated fearing a mutual assault she has been ordered maybe not to open it is it so my good girl well that not the biggest fool of the two she observed commendatively that's it it lass and who ordered you exclaimed milly feather oh pegtop well that's summer to laugh at it is our servant a shutting us out of our own grounds no servant o yourn come lass what do you mean he be old silas's miller and what's that to thee with these words the girl made a spring on the hasp of the padlock and then got easily over the gate can't you do that cousin whispered milly to me with an impatient nudge i wish you'd try no dear come away milly and i began to withdraw look ye lass twill be an ill's day work for thee when i tell the governor said milly addressing the girl who stood on a log of timber at the other side regarding us with a sullen composure we'll be over in spite o you cried milly you lie answered she and why not has he demanded my cousin who was less incensed at the affront than i expected all this time i was urging milly in vain to come away yon lass is no wild-cat like thee that's why said the sturdy portress if i cross i'll give you a knock said milly and i'll give thee another she answered with a vicious wag of the head come milly i'll go if you don't i said but we must not be beat whispered she vehemently catching my arm and ye shall get over it and see what i will gear i'll not get over then i'll break the door for ye shall come through exclaimed milly kicking the stout paling with her ponderous boot purrit 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 cried the lass in the red petticoat with a grin do you know who this lady is cried milly suddenly she's a prettier lass than thou answered beauty she's my cousin maud miss ruthyn of knoll and she's a deal richer than the queen and the governor's taking care of her and he'll make old pegtop bring you to reason the girl eyed me with a sulky listlessness a little inquisitively i thought see if he don't threatened milly you positively must come i said drawing her away with me well shall we come in cried milly trying a last summons you'll not come in that much she answered surlily measuring an infinitesimal distance on her finger with her thumb which she pinched against it the gesture ending with a snap of defiance and a smile that showed her fine teeth i've a mind to shy a stone at you shouted milly fair away i'll shy with you as long as you like lass take heed o yourself 
and Beauty picked up a round stone as large as a cricket ball. With difficulty I got Milly away without an exchange of missiles, and much disgusted at my want of zeal and agility. "'Well, come along, cousin. I know an easy way by the river when it's low,' answered Milly. "'She's a brute, is not she?' As we receded, we saw the girl slowly wending her way towards the old thatched cottage, which showed its gable from the side of a little rugged eminence, embowered in spreading trees, and dangling and twirling from its string on the end of her finger, the key for which the battle had so nearly been fought. The stream was low enough to make our flank movement round the end of the paling next it quite easy, and so we pursued our way, and Milly's equanimity returned, and our ramble grew very pleasant again. Our path lay by the river-bank, and as we proceeded the dwarf timber was succeeded by grander trees, which crowded closer and taller, and, at last, the scenery deepened into solemn forest, and a sudden sweep in the river revealed the beautiful ruin of a steep old bridge, with the fragments of a gatehouse on the farther side. "'Oh, Milly, darling!' I exclaimed. "'What a beautiful drawing this would make! I should so like to make a sketch of it!' "'So it would. Make a picture, do! Here's a stone that's pure and flat to sit upon, and you look very tired.' "'Do make it, and I'll sit by you.' "'Yes, Milly, I am tired a little, and I will sit down. "'But we must wait for another day to make the picture, "'for we have neither pencil nor paper. "'But it is much too pretty to be lost, "'so let us come again to-morrow.' "'To-morrow be hanged. "'You'll do it to-day, bury me wick. "'But you shall. "'I'm wearying to see you make a picture, "'and I'll fetch your conundrums out of your drawer, "'for do it you shall.' End of chapter 33